0: Area 941 podcasts are produced and distributed by community-powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org.
1: I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, most of which are heard on Upfront and the Talkies, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. My guest is John Fisher, artistic director of Theater Rhinoceros, the longest-running queer theater in the world. Founded in 1997, Rhinos shows are currently located in the Eureka Theater near the Embarcadero in San Francisco. The latest show is the musical Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Based on the 1994 film starring Hugo Weaving, Terence Stamp, and Guy Pearce, The show tells the story of three drag queens traveling from Sydney, Australia to Ayers Rock in the middle of the continent. A huge hit, the film engendered, pun intended, a Broadway musical, which opened in March 2011 and closed 15 months later after 528 performances. Rhino's production runs through July 1st. I had a chance to sit with John on the set of Priscilla after a recent performance to talk about the show along with upcoming Rhino productions, including a free outdoor series of performances of Shakespeare's King Lear at Yerba Buena Gardens the weekend of July 7th through 9th. Last week I did a review of Legend of Georgia McBride mm-hmm. at Marin. Rhino has Priscilla, Marin has Georgia McBride, right. SF Playhouse mm-hmm. is doing La Cage Faux, uh-huh. and even... It's not quite the same thing, but it's still gender bending. You have as you like it at Cal Shakes. Why do we suddenly have four gender bending shows going on at the same time? Is there anything to that?
0: Well, I think there is something in the air. I I think the issues surrounding transgender equality are paramount now that Trump is trying to turn the decisions all over to the states, which isn't much saying that, you know, we're gonna repeal a lot of transgender equality laws. Strangely enough, when he was running for president, he said, that I have no issue with transgenders. They can use whatever bathrooms they want in Trump Tower. But now that he's president, he's basically empowering the localities to legislate against a large segment, an important segment, of the queer community. And I think that the theater community being a haven for queer people is, of course, responding.
1: There was a time when drag or transgender—well, they're two different things, obviously. Obviously, obviously. When drag was kind of a major part of— the gay subculture, and it seems now, I mean, with at least in areas like the Bay Area, yeah. that gay life is kind of mainstreamed, and drag, as it was when we were younger,
0: seems to be fading. Am I wrong about that? I think the nature of it's changing. When the theater was founded, what Theater of Bionostris was founded 40 years ago by Alan Estes... He, as artistic director, said there will be no drag at Theater Rhinoceros. Really? Because he felt like drag was identified with, you know, like drunk queens getting on top of a bar, singing some lip syncing some song. He said, this is theater we're doing. We are doing theater, legitimate theater. So he spent a lot of time trying to divorce queer theater, as he defined it then, from the idea of somebody putting on a dress and saying they're performing. But subsequently, of course, drag has become, I think, core to a lot of queer theater experiences. And I don't know. I mean, I think that there's more drag offstage. Drag is now not just drag. It's part of the outward expression of transgenderism. It's part of gender fluidity. It's part of gender fuck, if I can say that word on KPFA. It's it's a part of so many things now that it's no longer associated with theater exclusively. But I don't think it's fading from theater. I think it's still there. I just think that there's there's sort of separations and depictions. I mean, you mentioned some shows, all of which deal to some extent with drag. I'm also not sure that it's as closely identified with being gay as it was. Now you can wear a dress and claim that you, not claim, but say that you're straight. With the degeneration of pronouns and traditional identity categories, I think drag itself is breaking down. It doesn't have quite the potency for queer people as it once did, as, a, as sort of a revolutionary form of expression. We're
1: seeing two different shows here, the one in Marin and the one Mm -hmm. here at Rhino, the Eureka. And that one, the on-scene drag show, is in Panama City. I was watching it, and I'm going, okay, the actors in the other scenes are terrific. But having seen drag when I was young, I'm going, "Mm, not quite. Yet, you seem to nail it more here. I'm wondering if that's just
0: the plays. I can only speak for this production. I haven't seen the production. Marin, all the actors in this production have a great love of their characters and expressing themselves through drag. And I won't say which, but some of the leads have never done drag before. Never, never, never. I mean, they've never performed in a show in drag. Had they ever done just dressed up like that? I don't know. It was an exciting challenge for them. And they really jumped into it. You know, finding new dresses, finding new makeup, you know, ways to walk. I mean, I think that... For them, it was an exciting, new, great thing to do. And I was shocked. I mean, I thought these were three men who probably had performed in drag on stage before, done drag off stage, but there was, I realized that they had not done drag roles before. And I was shocked. And I think that that joy is communicated, the liberation of it. So I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, I, I still do believe there's something inherently valuable and necessary and important and qualitatively different in a queer theater, putting on a queer play than in a a theater that's identified as something else or identified more broadly, put in a queer play, which is not to say that we have the language and we have an entitlement to it. There are many people in this play who are not queer. But I think that why we're doing it is perhaps for a reason more multivalenced than why a non-queer theater is putting on a play. Uh, They might be putting on to be political or to be provocative. We're putting on for all those reasons, but also because it's where we feel comfortable. It's home for us.
1: Well, John Fisher, let's go back to the origins of how you got this show. Before I turned on the microphone here, this show was touring as recently as four or five years ago. Did you suddenly go, hey, we could do Priscilla
0: and contact them? And they said, sure. I'll be frank with you. I had many ideas, and they weren't available. And this is a movie I saw many years ago and was sort of overwhelmed by how well it did and the identification with it. And then I started to listen to the music, and I thought, oh, this is a wonderful show. There are not that many gay musicals. When you decide to put on a gay musical, there are not that many of them. They just don't write that many.
1: There's Priscilla, Kinky Boots. There's Roadshow. There's okay. La Cage Okay, that's four. Falsettos, that's five. Falsettos is okay, five. Okay, keep
0: going. Alison Bechtel. Yeah, okay, but you're struggling. Can you name 20 musicals that are not gay? Yes. Yes. Like, boom, 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 boom. You did Rodgers and Hammerstein, Werner and Lowe, you know, whatever. Most, 99% of Stephen Sondheim, a queer man. It is not easy to find a gay musical, and I wanted to find something that was celebratory, something that was exciting, something that was um, uh, political, and I feel that this is political. It's become political, And my only reluctance was it was jukebox. It's a jukebox musical. It's not a score. That I realized when we started working on it, when I started listening to it, and when I started the joy of the choreographer working on it, the joy of the actors, I realized that was a prejudice of mine. You can't just say something, you can't just be like, no, 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 no. There has to be a Rogers. There has to be a Hammerstein. They have to be working together. They have to be slaving together. They have to be in sync. They have to create a brand new score. You can't be that way. It's an entertainment that embraces a queer sound.
1: And that's enough. The other element of this for Rhino is that this is a show that focuses on costume, which means, (laughs) is that the bulk
0: of the budget other than actors? No, I mean, this bus that we're sitting on, we are currently being interviewed. I'm being interviewed in the Priscilla Queen of the Desert bus. Richard and I are sitting on a bus. This bus was, was a real triumph of construction. This bus doesn't fit through that door. The loading door, this bus doesn't fit through. It you to, to come, build it here? It had to come through in pieces and be assembled and finished and decorated. And I think everything was an extension for us. There's 15 people on this stage. There's a, a choreographer who choreographed 22 dance numbers. Yes, the costumes, I think, pop and seem to grab the glory. But it worked with an incredible costume team. And they did miracles. All those hats. All those hats. All yeah. those hats. How much do you think those cost? $300. Isn't that amazing? It's like, it's like, I can't, it's like, it's like what Beach Mike of Babylon dreams of. I mean, I, I'm just so proud of the hats. And Glenn, they just figured it out. Why I've got you here, John
1: Fisher, have you worked out the schedule for next
0: season? We're doing a new play that's set in West Oakland by its local playwright, and it's about the transgender. African-American community in West Oakland. And I'm really excited about that because a local playwright, a local story, a local event, which is West Oakland, is getting gentrified. And those of us who grew up here, was like, it will never happen in West Oakland. It's going to happen everywhere else, but it's never going to happen in West Oakland. I run my bike through there. I'm like, it's never going to happen here. It's impossible. And now it's even happening there. And that's a loss of something. The great AIDS play, in my view, is the normal heart. And we're going to do that. It's great, great drama. It transcends even its subject. And that's had uh, recent... Famous, Broadway revival, also, and it's sort of come back into the, into the parlance. So, yeah, I mean, we do have a season that we're moving towards. We have one more play in this season, which is Lear, which is being done outside at uh, your Buena Gardens as, as the next in our kind of series of shows that we do outside at your Buena Gardens. That is July 7th and 8th at seven o'clock, and July 9th at one o'clock. So there's only three shows. It's part of the Your Buena Gardens Festival, so it's a co production between Theater Rhinoceros and your Buena Gardens Festival. It's a full production of Lear. The way we do it is the the audience moves around with the show to the different locations. You did that once before. We did that with Timon of Athens, which we turned into a musical. We did that with Titus Andronicus, which we turned into a musical. This one we're doing straight. Forgive the word, but we're doing it straight. It's Shakespeare's King Lear.
1: Does that of any affiliation, are you bringing in anything queer from them? Yeah,
0: there are queer elements to that. You know, people who see it will see it. But mostly, it's a story of a governing family That's so wrapped up in its own shit, it's not taking care of the polity, which I think is a real issue in this world right now. It's happening in Britain. It's happening in this country. It's like we have these families, these dynasties that rule, and they're so wrapped up in their own family dramas, their own court cases, their own businesses that the polity is sort of left to itself. I mean, even even the Pentagon now is left to running the wars. I mean, you know, the, the government's saying, you know, you can't just let the Pentagon make decisions. It's like our government's sort of on autopilot while this sort of personal drama takes place. And I think that's what's happening to Lear. And Lear, of course, realizes there's street people out there. He He's thrown out in the wilderness, and he suddenly realizes there's this whole population out there that he's never, never thought about.
1: Is there any similarity in the the way you direct, say Shakespeare or Priscilla versus? I mean, Priscilla and your own shows have a similarity. Yeah, but when you're dealing with Lear, yeah. is that a completely different kind of world for you?
0: I joke. I I say they're they're the same play, basically. I mean, Priscilla and Lear, it's an adventure of discovery. You know, the big big cast shows. Yes, of course. Of course, though. With Priscilla, I really had great collaborators. The music director and the choreographer, Dan Fayer, the music director, and AJ Mitchell, the choreographer. To watch them work with this cast, Dan was ruthless about finding voices. I saw so many actors. And I was like, Oh, that person sounded pretty good. Dan was like, nope, 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 nope. He said no to so many people. Some people who are my friends, who I brought into audition. He didn't say they can't sing, he said they're just it's not right. They're not right. And he put together this group of people. I was, like, so frustrated with him because it took so long. But then we got him in the room for the first rehearsal. They sounded beautiful. I say it was like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir without all those Mormons. It was beautiful. And then A.J. Mitchell came in, and it was just like he would whip up a dance number. He worked so fast and get so much out of the dancers and then drills them, drills them, drills them. It, for me, it was a collaborative process. It was just like I felt sometimes like my contribution was, was not minimal, but it was more sort of global. It was to pull everything together as opposed to micro. With Lear, it's much more along the lines of what, what, one of my own things. My, my fingers are in everything. They're in everything. Because there's no, there's no choreographer. There's no music director. It's us and Shakespeare. And Shakespeare's tough. He's a tough taskmaster you know he's just like da 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 -da." you know it's like you know but he's so clever and what I love about Lear is it's really it is like Priscilla it's like it's always something new and surprising people think it's this play about people having making long speeches it's a play about people like fighting and grabbing each other and gouging each other's eyes out and stabbing each other and you know cheating on their husbands and it's just it's it's like it's like a it's like Hamlet is his play where people just sort of sit around and talk. But in Lear, it's like they are just like ferocious and they're they're horny and hungry and tired and sick and violent. And I love that about it. So in many ways, he is as much of a theatricalist as the people who create Priscilla. He's really concerned with entertainment. And that's what I admire about him. So in a way, it's much more similar to my own stuff than it is to Priscilla. In Priscilla, did you go back to the movie? I did watch the movie. The movie's wonderful. The takeaway from the movie is the ping pong balls. And I think you can hear in the audience when they see her come on stage, they're like, oh, are they really going to do it? Are they going to do it in the musical? Right, because it's all about the ping pong balls. But the movie, I just was so struck watching it again by the humanity of both Guy Pearce and Terrence Stamp they just really seem to bring sort of a joy to their roles. And I'm so proud of Daryl and Charles for capturing that in completely different ways from the original actors. Well, Daryl's performance was a little bit like uh, Stamp's. He did the English accent like Stamp. But I just think Daryl has – his voice is so beautiful. And then, of course, Rudy taking that that role – which is sort of the engine behind it all, and finding the sun, and, and Rudy is so good at the emotion. What I was so grateful for is watching three such distinct performances, and I think that movie, the performances are all, the three performances are wonderful, then seeing them recreated by these actors. Actually, I'm not crazy about the lead in the movie. I never liked him that much.
1: So I think it was Mr. Smith in The Matrix. Yes.
0: and he, he found himself in villains. In The Matrix, he is creepy as hell. And therefore, I love him because he lands that. But in the movie, I was like, eh. and I'm And so, I'm so proud of Rudy because he just has that vulnerability that I love so much. And the other thing I love about the three leads is they all sing in three different ways. They dance in three different ways. I mean, they'll do choreography, but if you look carefully at them, they're too, it's like a history of dance. You see dance from the 70s, dance from the 90s, dance from now. You see three generations of dance. Not that they necessarily represent those three generations. Their approaches to dance are so distinct and wonderful. The movie gave me much inspiration, but it's very different. It's, watching it after after working on the show is a bit disappointing because they're they don't, they don't sing and dance. And they're kind of they're kind of crappy drag queens a lot of the time. They're kind of <laughs> sloppy. Terrence Stamp is his dancing's terrible. But it is a wonderful movie and uh I think it's it was crying out to be turned into a musical. Next season there's Normal Heart.
1: Yeah. There's the Oakland play. The Legend of Pink, it's called. Legend of Pink. The
0: Legend of Pink. And do you have other shows absolutely scheduled now? Or um, I'm trying to find another piece for Catherine Wood. I don't know if you saw Gertrude Stein with a Companion. I would like her to do another famous lesbian play. Uh, she just landed that so beautifully. And I've got something in mind, but I do have other things in mind. I just, it's like, you know, I have to you know get the pieces together. And Lear is? Lear is... Um, Playing at Buena Gardens. It's an outdoor production. And it plays uh, July seventh and eighth at seven o'clock and July 9th at one. And it's it's Lear. It's an hour and a half long. So it's a cut lear. It's not the four hour Lear. The Rhino.org if you're interested in that. Lear is just show up. It's free. It's a free event. The Buena Gardens Festival is this wonderful music, dance festival. Every weekend there's a new event. And we are I think we're the only theater thing that they do. And Little Lucero is the producer. She's wonderful. And everybody there, Marcello and Steve, it's like this great, great team. And they do these great things. So go there every weekend, but we're there just that one weekend. I think the nighttime performance are best because we start in the light and we go into darkness. And we use the fountains. I mean, we have control of everything in the park. So it's sort of like, it is the journey of Lear. It starts kind of fun and everybody's a happy family and then it just gets darker, darker, darker. and ends in insanity. And as that happens, it's a long day's journey into night. That's what Lyra is.